So we have Sunday, December 22nd. Thanks for joining us. We're continuing to look explicitly at what our denomination has said about the issue of racial reconciliation in its report from the 2018 General Assembly. We're, we're just going to let the denomination speak to us and read it together. I kept using the word last week, pedantic, and Janice said to me afterwards, I don't know what that word means. You kept using it. It just means ordinary. I think it comes from the idea of just sort of walking along pedantic. But it, it might seem very simple, very ordinary, but I just want the denomination to speak to us. So that's why we're reading it. I know you, I could send it home and have you read it by yourselves, and we might pause and have discussion. If something raises a question for you, feel free to do that. So that's the, the logic to my either genius or insanity. Joan, Kathy? Could you please spell that word? Because I thought, I thought the same thing, and I like to learn new words. Can you spell it? I, I think it's P-E-D-A-N-T-I-C, unless someone knows better. Pedantic. Am I right? Just ordinary, sort of plain, just kind of... Big words. All right. Let me pray for us. We're grateful, Lord, to be in a denomination that is, uh, has the courage and the grace and the wisdom and the biblical conviction to look at this issue. And we're so thankful. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters present with me this morning. Use the text of this report to inform us, to help us, to change us, to make us as a body more and more sensitive and aware and careful and biblical in our thinking and living as regards this issue. In Jesus' name, amen. We are on page 2410, 2410, and we're going to start the section, Confessional Support. So the handout sort of started with some background, gave the history of looking at this issue in our denomination. 2410? 2410. At the bottom, 2410. And we looked at the biblical data last week, and because we're what's called a confessional church, there's a body of specifically ex- ex- um, delinity and doctrine that we say we believe as a denomination, your elders and deacons ascend to this. I think I mentioned that within the last week or two. The writers of this paper are not only going to do the biblical support, but confessional support and show where there's no contradiction and uh, there's sufficient and healthy overlap. So, let's, uh, let's have, we'll start over here. Nate, would you read the first paragraph there beginning at line 9? This biblical theological storyline finds its place in our confessional doctrine. While the word race is not found specifically in the Western standards, there are theological categories within our standards that shape our approach to racial reconciliation and justice. As this report has already demonstrated, Scripture, which sets down all things necessary for God's own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, addresses a range of issues with regard to the gospel of race, either expressly or by good and necessary consequence. We look to Scripture as well as our confessional documents Thank you. So there's just an, a simple admission. The, the race issue was not on the minds of the Westminster Divines. There were other issues that, aren't, that don't come up in the standards. But nonetheless, because the standards are ultimately a summary of Scripture, and this is an issue of Scripture, and we believe Scripture is sufficient for all of our understanding of life issues, the, the, uh, the, the confession is going to help us. 
That's what that means. Any thoughts or comments on this before we move on? Melissa, you want to read beginning at 17? Our documents direct us to the shrine of God who is being in community, diversity, and unity. God's image in humankind is not only displayed in the diversity of male and female as one flesh, but also in the diversities of races brought together into one community, the people of God. God's image is not restricted to one ethnicity, but is evident in all humanity, in each race or ethnicity, and in each human being. Great, thank you. So the confession, after it starts in Scripture, because that's how we know anything about anything theological, goes to who God is. And so what is this affirming about the nature of God? God himself lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you have unity and diversity. Where does that get reflected? In God's special creation, mankind. Unity and diversity. So the image of God, what, what makes us human is that we bear the image of God regardless of what we look like. This is what, we've actually seen that in our study, but they're just bringing that to, uh, to the forefront for us. Okay? Who on this side, I'm just going to move this way, but I'm not going to call on anybody who doesn't necessarily want to read. Who would like to read, beginning at line 24? Joan Kathy, thank you. We further share a common inheritance from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Not only were they the fountainhead of humanity, but they were also the headwaters of depravity. Hence, every race shares both God's image and Adam's sin. In addition, every race stands under God's providence. He governs all his creatures and all their actions. The development of races throughout the world stands under God's oversight, governance, and purpose. In each of these ways, creation, fall, providence, we see the working out of God's covenantal relationship with humanity. Thank you. So in my devotions, I've been reading in Acts, and there in Acts 17, when Paul's preaching on Mars Hill, and he's preaching to the, these philosophers and Epicureans and whatnot, he, he talks about the nature of God, and he says, God, uh, from one man, brought all the nations. From one man, created all nations. And what they're saying here is, the, the fountainhead of humanity is Adam and Eve, and therefore all the nations that have, that have progressed from Adam and Eve have in common image bearers of God and their fallenness. That's what makes, that's what makes them human, regardless of what they look like, where they live, how they do culture. Image bearers who are fallen. Just jump in if you want to add anything. I'm going to give brief summaries sometimes, not always. Line 32. Janice? Even with this commonality that the diverse races share, there is a fundamental distinction, one that cuts across all races, namely God's electing decree. The fundamental division is not between races, but between the elect and the lost. God's movement towards humanity for salvation in the covenant of grace is not toward a single race or ethnicity, but toward all nations. Christ, the mediator, came to die for sinners from every nation and race and from every age. Our confessional documents speak of reconciliation here. There is, a recon there is reconciliation between God and humans from every race through the blood of Christ. 
Thank you. So we have all these different races, and what's the, what, is, what are they saying here is the key distinction between them? You have the, on the one hand, the elect, the elect and the fallen, okay? So from Adam's fallen race, as it were, there's ultimately in God's sight two divisions of people, his own and those who don't belong to him, the elect and the reprobate. Okay? Thoughts, questions, concerns? Please speak up. All right, still looking on this side, verse 41. Dory? Okay. Uh, I mean line 41, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter verse. Okay. God applies his salvation by sending his spirit to people from every race and nation, effectually calling them and enabling them to answer his call, embracing the grace offered to them. There is not a preference given to one particular race over another. Rather, God calls men and women from every race, justifies them by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their persons as righteous for Christ's sake alone. God, through his spirit, adopts people from every race as his children, sanctifies them, grants them saving faith and repentance, enables them to persevere and produce good works. As we live out of the repentance that God's grace grants us, we confess our sins to each other, including sins of racism, and so are reconciled to each other. Wonderful. So, among the elect here, the, the humanity is divided between the elect and the non-elect. What the elect have in common is, in spite of their physical difference and cultural differences and racial differences, is they're all called, they're all given the Holy Spirit, they're all accepted and reconciled to God through Christ and God's working, as it were, the order of salutis in all of them. And what comes with that is the incredible responsibility and privilege to be reconciled across racial or national lines as a demonstration of God's uh, grace to us. Janice? And it also says on line four that they are reconciled to each other. We are that reconciled to each other. statement, yeah, Good. of that. Uh, Perhaps an echo of that Ephesians 4, 1, um, be, di be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. God has given us peace through the gospel. We're to be diligent to preserve the peace that's already given. <coughs> Good. Who's up for a long paragraph regards the law of God? Rock is. Thank you. God's law regulates the way we as Christians live with one another. And especially the second table of God's law urges us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We honor those in every station of life, inferiors and superiors and equals by seeking to regard the dignity and worth of each other and giving honor to one to, uh, in honor to go before one another to rejoice in each other's gifts and advancement as our own we also seek to preserve the lives of brothers and sisters regardless of race or ethnicity through the readiness to be reconciled as well as through the defense of their rights Reconciliation and justice are embedded in the Sixth Commandment. <clears throat> we honor one another's marriages regardless of racial composition, recognizing that it is lawful for all sorts of people to marry who are able, with judgment, to give their consent. 
as long as such marriages are subject to biblical requirements in the Lord. We further recognize that the Eighth Commandment points us to economic justice towards others, regardless of race, justice in contracts, in commerce between man and man, rendering to everyone his due, and an endeavor uh, by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others as well as our own. In addition, the Catechism also calls us to the restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the rightful owners thereof, and so restitution is necessary through reconciliation and justice. As we seek legal justice for those who do not have a voice in our society, we keep the Ninth Commandment. And finally, we desire to live charitably with all, especially those of the household of faith. Thank you. So just trying to tease out, the second table of the law is 6 through 10. The first table relates to your relationship with God. Uh, the fifth commandment has to do with authority, sort of the pivot. Uh, you honor your father and your mother, but that's a way of honoring God because they're God's authority over you, and by extension, you're under the government authority. And then 6 through 10 can be summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what they're trying to do here is just show you how 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, in general terms, uh, apply in this idea of racial reconciliation. Rock? And then. Uh, in that paragraph, there's lots of references to LC. Larger Catechism. Larger Catechism. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if you ever want, good question, if you ever want to know uh, uh, in depth what the Ten Commandments teach, go to the Larger Catechism because they give the commandment, they have a big paragraph on what it enjoins upon you and what it forbids, and man, these guys spend hours, hours teasing out a great summary of what Scripture says about each of the commandments. It's just amazing, amazing. Your elders chose to reference the uh, ninth commandment when they gave you a paper, they put out a paper on gossip this past spring, was it? And they, they cited uh, portions of the Ninth Commandment. We couldn't do it all, but you'd be, you'd just read uh, how... Anyway, that's an advertisement for the larger catechism. Among other things that it talks about. I think Nate had a hand up. That's my question. Okay. Larger catechism. What's in the back of the hymnal is the shorter. We often use it for our confession of faith. The larger is more in-depth. Larger. It's larger. Janice? On line 8, it talks about every station of life, and probably the words there are a little bit uh, you know, inflammatory to our ears, which you may comment on inferiors, superiors, and equals. Line 8. I, would, I don't know. Um, I don't know what portion of the larger this is in. But I would imagine that that has to do with people that are your boss or for parents. Uh, their inferiors are their children, and that's what I would be guessing. That is. We have God has ordained stations. Marty? Yeah, I was just saying, I think it has to do with authority, but total authority. So, but the words themselves would be that's what objectionable I today. That's why I wanted you to clarify that. If you would, uh, in the revised version, they might right. <laughs> Jan? I was just going to mention inferiors in the sense 
responsible for other people who are under us, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Good. Subordinate. We, is it okay to use subordinate in today's world? Okay, good. Very good. See, language changes, and uh, this is why some, we have to be careful how we speak. Okay. And maybe that's why they put that in quotes. I don't know. But. All right. Uh, beginning at line... These are all quotes. Yeah. Line 26. I'm still... Okay. Is that... Thank you. In each of these ways, we love our neighbor through faithfulness and justice, and we do this especially within the church, which consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children. People from various nationalities and races are to be part of God's church. They are saints bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God. But they are also saints who must render spiritual services and mutual edification through sharing outward things according to their several abilities and necessities. Hence, our communion with each other involves sharing our financial resources with each other. Thank you. So especially within the household of faith, these things ought to be lived out and, and visible. The, the world should look at the church and go, oh, I'm so jealous. I'd love to be a part of that organization. I'm not sure I believe what they believe, but boy, do they take care of each other. Look at them. The way we love each other should be an invitation to come in and see something about the uh, nice do. Did you get a haircut? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's the church. We can say that. <laughs> I haven't seen y'all in a few weeks. <coughs> Line 35. Uh, ready to go this way? Okay. Line 35. Shirley? The preeminent way we share in this communion of the saints is through common worship around words and sacraments. The sacraments put a visible difference between the church and the rest of the world. So our common baptism and our common tables should be common to every Christian, regardless of race, as we stand together against the world. These blessings of word and sacrament come from Christ, the King of the Church, and He has appointed a government in His Church with officers drawn from every race and ethnicity. These elders are formed into synods and councils and share this common government to determine controversies of faith. Again, not restricted to any race, but open to all the elect who profess Christ and who have been elected to office. Thank you. So in that beautiful, they're saying that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and also we distribute the elements and on the first Sunday of the month, communion, we have people come to the table and that's a visible demonstration of what? There's no distinctions between race, age, intelligence, socioeconomics. It's sinners saved by grace coming to Jesus around that table. The only distinction that's made there is between believers and those who are not welcome to the table unbelievers. That's the distinction, not the ones human beings use sinfully to drive wedges between groups of people. I, I like that. It's pretty good, isn't it? Okay. Nate? So, I think 
this, I think, is that you can say, hey, everything is good between the races in our church because everybody's sitting in service and we're hearing a sermon and having communion. But we know that, like, outside of that, there can be plenty of problems. So, yes. I'm not sure that it's the preeminent way that we share communion together. I think there's a lot of other ways. If you want to build relationships, that you're going to need to do that outside of these things. We certainly need more than this, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Because it would be sort of silly to come to a common table and then leave and continue to be mad to that person or refuse to have fellowship with them or not want to pray with them because you don't like what they look like or what they think or where they work. That would be a contradiction. That's your point, partly. Well, well, yeah, I mean, there's no real interaction with one another with this happening. I mean, it's, it happens, but, you know, if there's, there's a racial, this is you know, racial tensions, this doesn't really solve that. I mean, certainly it could be worse if you're not, if there, there could be some places where, you know, different races aren't allowed to participate in the same way. Um, but just because this is happening doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of, I don't, I don't, I don't see, hey, everybody's having communion and listening to a sermon together, so that means everything's handled properly. Okay, Dory? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm struggling with this a little bit, too. But this is, in a different context, I think, this is coming from a culture in which churches were segregated and left were not admitted to membership. So I think this is speaking more to those churches. Which is, I hope it goes further and speaks to today's culture, but, you know, I mean, I think they're laying back down the work first. Sure. Okay. I think we'll find out as we move through. So are we on number one on 2412? Who would like to read that? On the last day, the luck drawn for member rates and ethnicity will be displayed to all the watching world. Once again, the problem of the dividing line among humanity, the elect and the wicked, will be seen regardless of race and ethnicity. All persons that have lived on the earth will appear before Christ's judgment, and the elect from every race will join their forces to praise Christ. Amen. Seven? Line seven? Marty? It should be clear the biblical theological storyline the initial section of our report is faithfully represented in the confessional standards that are used to describe. While the 17th century framers of the Westminster Confession and the Catechism did not have race as a framework, nothing in what they summarized as Christian teaching is inimical to our church's developing understanding of racial reconciliation and justice. In fact, our confessional standards demand that we lean into these issues faithfully and obediently. To fail to see these issues as gospel issues, that is, as the proper ethical response for biblical teaching, is to fail to live faithfully to our own confessional standards. Thank you. So that's a summary. Okay. So don't let, I think they're saying, don't let yourself off the hook because you call yourself Presbyterian, you love the Westminster Standards, and because the Westminster Standards don't address race, you're kind of off the hook. And they're trying to say, no, you're not. Don't, don't hide behind that. Okay? Any comments or questions about this this far? Penny? It's not on this. It's just an <clears throat> off-the-wall question because I didn't grow up here. I struggled with this um, 
thing that churches didn't allow people to worship together. You know, when I first heard about Jimmy Carter's church, it blew my mind. Um, but these churches were also sending missionaries to other countries to where people were not white. So what was their thinking? How, how did they reconcile those two things? Anybody answer that question? I can't. Just wondered if it had come up in the meeting or something. Okay, sorry. No, it, 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 it baffles us, it, it which is why we need this, which is why we need this. And, and if you missed last week, the reason we have the 2018 report is the one from the 32nd General Assembly did not, according to the judgment of this commission, deal sufficiently with the error of the Southern Presbyterian churches to not support the civil rights movement. That, the first report on racial re reconciliation neglected to deal with that. That's one of the reasons we needed this. It lacked a kind of integrity, as it were. I can't explain the thinking. Pastoral and missional considerations. Who would read 19 for us, line 19? We live in a time where the global, where the global is becoming global. Our neighborhood schools I do. Do you agree? Is that overstated? Do we live in a diverse neighborhood? We do. Um, it, it's not hard to, to, for uh, me to go into the giant down here and some of the people there aren't speaking my language. They're not speaking my language. <coughs> It's not that way in Forest, Virginia. In Forest, Virginia, there's very few African Americans, very few Hispanics, and everybody seems to speaking, speak English. I don't mean it's any better. It's just different. So this is a very different, different place. God has planted us, Wallace, in the midst of a pretty diverse culture. Does God have a heart for that diversity? And they're saying what? Until we have the heart of God, we won't have that heart. Okay. Line 27. Who, who would like to read that? Jan, thank you. It should be said that cross-cultural love has nothing to do with being politically correct. Rather, this cross-cultural love has everything to do with the faithfulness to God's word and its central message, the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. The message of racial justice, racial justice Critical for the world to hear Christians talking about almost as important as other health critical social justice issues such as abortion in America. The dying world wants to hear God's people speak truth in love that we might become the mature 
Thank you. Thoughts, comments? Well said. Yes. Any good? What? What? So am I generally hearing it says that true worship does not happen without all the people's worshiping as one or, or this idea that the great end of this pursuit is doxology through diversity and that in turn is what brings glory to God that the picture of the new heavens and the new earth or the picture of the true church is worshiping together yes Jan I think this, this um, our goal is not to see diversity as an end in itself, really um, distinguishes up the church from the pursuit of the world. Um, because you know, that it is doxology through diversity and it is for God's glory. Yes. So if we, you know, I think sometimes we think of it, we're, um, so influenced by what the world does and thinks that we just view it in the same way. Yes. 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 Good. And you know, who's going to get the glory when people that are different and uh, might have reasons not to like or associate with each other actually are reconciled and get along? And, you know, to God be all the glory. And what a picture of heaven! And all nations standing before the throne, giving glory to God. So the church has a and a, and a unique opportunity in this epoch to bring heaven to earth to see reconciled people worshiping one God. Not for diversity's sake, but for God's sake. Marty, and then. So, but there is a certain appreciation in seeking for diversity, but not as the final ultimate So that when people, even within the church, sort of look at this and say, what are you doing? What do you see? What is your interest in diversity? Your agenda is being like the world. You know, you're saying no. Our ultimate goal is the glory of God, but we can't do that without the diversity that God's put among his people. Good. Okay. Great. So Lindsay? Well I'd also like to point about diversity in and of itself is selling selling it short. And I think it goes back to Nate's point about communion. You know, if you're seeing it in communion but not seeing it in fellowship, well, if you're really taking in communion, you know, as what it is, then I'm, you know, I'm humbled by the fact that Christ had to die for me. So I should be coming into it with a more humble stance of, like, whatever I'm thinking about myself. And I, it should raise up everyone around me that Christ saw them, that, like, loved them so much that he would die for them. And... It, you know, so it's, it is, it's, it's bigger than just race because I, I could have many of a myriad of prejudices and it's really the gospel that's the great humbler and 
attitude about my identity and the identity of those around me. Great. And so how is that lived out practically? Look at the end of line 38. This love requires humble listening, teachability, and wisdom as well as a proactive pursuit of individual institutional change. What's humble listening? What's the presupposition underneath that? We're interacting. Sorry? That we are interacting. We're interacting. What's that, Ruth? I guess that we are full of pride. I'm full of pride, but how does pride manifest itself when I, when I, when I see somebody different than me? Intuitively says, my way's better, right? It's superior, that's a terrible superior word. Isn't that pride? My way's better? So humble listening says, I need to learn from you. It's a different culture. You have a different perspective. And rather than Assume my way is better. Stop, ask questions, and listen. Humble listening. Teachability. Am I willing to say, my way of doing it isn't necessarily the best way. My way of doing singing. There's a good divider in the church. The way music should take place. One of the beauties of a blended service like you have is it's an opportunity for mutual submission. The people who want all the contemporary mutually submit to those who want to see hymns. Those who want all hymns have the opportunity to mutually submit to those who want more contemporary. It's a wonderful opportunity for mutual submission, a blended worship service, which, which you have. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. So they're going to get specific on pastoral considerations. Line 44. Thank you, Lindsay. So translated, what does that require of me preparing a sermon? You need, to know, you need to know other people's perspectives. I'm hoping that the diverse people in this neighborhood are being brought by you to the church, your neighbors, and I'm thinking about what? The way they're hearing me. What questions do they have? The text says this. I'm trying to anticipate. I need to learn what concerns are they bringing into church with that. I, you know, I don't do that very well. I'm very monolithic. I'm, I'm, I am who I am, and I think I know you pretty well, and my struggles are your struggles, and that's why. <laughs> so anyway, but I, that, this takes work. This takes work. Search committee. We have a number on the search committee right here. Raise your hand if you're on the search committee. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So there's a question you're going to ask your prospective guy. Have you done this? Will you do this? We want that class for the search committee. Do we want that to happen? Okay. I mean, it's not my not role to tell you what to do, but... Okay, line six. <clears throat> Sorry. I was going to say, we don't want to put this all on the pastor and elders. This is everybody's 
responsibility as they're interacting with their neighbors. Um, it is. <coughs> so, but why, why is the commission starting here? Trickle down. What's that mean, Janice? If someone comes in, they don't want to be put off by what they hear you saying because they don't want to feel dissed by whatever it is that you say. Yes, that's right. You bring a friend to church, I don't want you embarrassed by what I'm saying. And so feedback loop's important. I do need to know from you. You know, that was not helpful. I had an unbelieving friend here, I had a Catholic friend here, I had a whatever. Feedback loop. You know, let me know. That was offensive. That wasn't helpful. Blah 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 blah. Shirley. So we're probably coming to this later in the document, but kind of back to what Nate's saying. <clears throat> we're doing trickle down, but the only way you're going to really have a sensitivity to the perspectives of others is if you intentionally seek out having diverse friendships. You, you know, you have to be. You have to know and humbly listen to them and understand their perspective. And I mean, you do it, maybe not, we're not thinking about so much of the diversity, but you're doing it when you bring up stories from your ministry in the past that relate to a point you're making and you're sharing the perspective of somebody else's impact it had on you. But that's, that's how you do it. You, can't, you have to humbly listen and be engaged with people who think differently than you. Good. And when Janice said trickle down, that's because she's heard me say for decades that I believe in God's economy as a rule, as a leadership, so the people. Your leaders aren't prayers, the people aren't going to be prayers. Your leaders aren't good givers, your people aren't going to be good givers. And so there is such a thing as a pace setter. When you look at the qualifications of leaders, there's a, the, the word isn't in there, but leaders embrace a certain lifestyle where they want to be pace setters among the saints. Paysetters in faith and repentance. The chiefest repenters in the body. And so I think maybe what, what, the, what these guys are getting at is challenging the leadership. Don't wait for it to, to come up from the grassroots. And God will do that. If the leaders aren't, God will move in the grassroots. <laughs> Bless the Lord. He'll get it done by one way or another. Um, anyway, so that's what Jam's meant by trickle down. Your leaders accept a certain responsibility to be pace setters. I mean, this hit me years ago in ministry. I was sitting across the table from somebody who was saying, "Um, I'm really struggling to make time to be with the Lord in the morning. And how am I going to help him with that when I'm not, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm got the same struggle. I just said, Lord, I, I need to, I need to be a pace setter in this. I need to be, if I'm going to help him, I need to be doing it myself. If I'm going to sit down and talk to somebody about what's it look like to give biblically and faithfully, I better be doing it myself. I'm a hypocrite, but I don't want to be a hypocrite without intentional repenting of it. There's plenty of hypocrisy in me to let it persist. Okay, where are we? Are we at line seven? Excuse me, line six. My time's up. Thank you. Thank you, dear. Is this okay? I mean, I, this is fine. Okay, good. Dory's going to lead you next week. We'll pick up first week of January. We'll probably be through several weeks after that, however we go. And then I'm going to be teaching in this class, as soon as we finish here, Romans 5 to 8. We're going to do a line-by-line study of the reign of life, Romans 5 to 8. That's coming in the spring. Let me pray for us. Lord, it is, 
it's just a joy to look around this room and, and see diversity uh, of appearance. And thank you for that, how you've made Wallace at this point in her life. And uh, we, we agree with the writers of this paper that it's ultimately doxology to bring glory to you. God of the nations, God of the diversity of humanity, God whose image we are privileged to reflect back to you and how glorious that you've looked upon us in our sin and misery and rebellion and you said, I'm not leaving you there. We are going to be reconciled. And you made that happen through the death of your son on the cross and you wooed us to yourself and called us into fellowship with yourself and adopted us as your children, blessed, beloved children <clears throat> who look different, just glorious, all to the praise and glory of God. So send us now to worship with hearts that, that ache, ache, long to praise you and adore you and lift up your name. We're going to sing familiar Christmas songs and sometimes we'll miss the import of the words and the, and the familiarity and delightfulness of the music. Let us not miss it. Let us worship you and may those words transform us. May my words be effective from my mouth in the sermon. Use me to love your people. Use me to help them, to bless them to shepherd them, to strengthen. Lord Jesus, use those words for their good, encouragement, life, blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.